Okay, turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're just going to look a little bit about the lives and things that, that took place at the time of the birth of Jesus. And what we want to see here is the gifts that were giving, given and the response. Look in Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept on pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall... And his name shall be, you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary was probably a lot like many other young ladies, and she had her certain plans for her marriage probably and what things would be like, and what her home would be like. And then the angel comes and stirs this whole thing up. And he says to her that you're going to have a son, and this is what his name is going to be. His name is going to be Jesus. Now, I don't know if when you had a child, if you had an idea in your mind of what you were going to name this child. And here an angel comes and stirs the whole thing and says, this is what his name will be. And you are going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and this shall be your child. And everything begins to change now in her life. When she wanted to walk with God, she had to make a decision. Are you going to allow God to change your life or not? And the whole response of this woman wasn't just of a, of a, of a passivity. Just saying, oh well, whatever happens, happens. It was an act of receptivity, where she was receiving from God something that God was giving. And she was allowing her life to be changed. Every moment of our lives, we have a decision. Will we allow God to change our lives, or will we do it our own way? I have my own way of running things. Or am I going to allow the Word of God, the church, the ways of God men of God, to speak into my life and change the way that I want to run my life. I have this decision. Will I allow God to change it? Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. There are most women, most women would never allow this. 
No way, Gabriel, do I want this. I have my way to get married. I have the man in mind who's going to be the father of my child. This doesn't include this Holy Spirit thing. I have a name all picked out for my child. I don't know about this name, Jesus. I've already picked out a name. And the angel said, I'm going to do some things that are different. Will you allow me to do this? God never forces himself on us. Without free will, there can be no love. Many many times we ask, well, why doesn't God just do this? Well, because to do this, he would have to force his will upon us. And without free will, there is no love. And God says, are you going to allow me to do this change, this difference in your life? Look now in Matthew chapter 1. So that was Mary's response, this whole response of receptivity. Not passivity, but receptivity from God. And now look at Joseph's response. Joseph's response. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until the birth of her, until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So now you see Joseph's response. Joseph's response is this. It says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, so they were engaged, and their engagement was much more binding than our engagements today. You know, today people move into engagement, out of engagement. You say, oh, I was engaged engaged to that person, I was engaged to that person, but then I finally married this person. And so people today move in and out of this thing. But at that time, it was really quite a binding thing. And in that state, she was found to be with child. So word comes to Joseph, Mary is pregnant. Now remember, the angel had not yet spoken to him. He finds out that this woman to whom he is engaged is pregnant. Imagine the sense of betrayal. Imagine the devastation. If we would be devastated in this day and in this generation to be engaged to someone, for a man to be engaged to a woman and the woman to be then found pregnant and the man knows he's never been with this woman, or for a woman to be engaged to a man and then find out that that man has been sleeping around somewhere. Imagine the betrayal, the feeling of betrayal. But much deeper in that day because then it defamed the entire family. It wasn't something that happened, oh, you know, it happens quite a bit these days. But at that time, the 
the, the defamation to the entire family. And in that state, when he doesn't know that it was given by the Holy Spirit, look at this man's response. It says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to put her away secretly. What she deserved, according to the law in Israel, was she deserved to be stoned to death. And his response is not justice. His response is mercy. You know, we always want justice in life. And God says, you don't want justice, you want mercy. The Scriptures say that judgment will be merciless to him who has shown no mercy, for mercy triumphs over judgment. Show mercy. Women, you want a husband like Joseph. This man did not want to disgrace his wife, even all he knew was that this woman was pregnant and not by him. And in that state, he says, I don't want her disgraced. Most men would say, I want my pound of flesh out of this thing. I'm going to make them pay. That would be most women's response. If they found out that their husband was doing this sort of thing, sleeping around or something, the response is, I'll get him. I'll go see a lawyer and we'll get him. That was not Joseph's response. It says, he, being a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her and planned to cover it up secretly. He wanted her somehow put away secretly because in spite of what he had gathered had been done, he didn't want her disgraced. This is righteousness. If this thought... If this word, if this action is not in the other's best interest, it is not the love of God. This is what I tell young people. Young people always ask me, as I, as I work with college students, you know, how far can I go with this girl? Say, so let me tell you how far. If your thought, if your word, if your action is not in the other's best interest, it is not the love of God. If this thought that I am having of you is not in the other's best interest, it is not the love of God. This is the love of God. It is always the best for the other. That I have this thought, this word, this action. You want to know if it's the love of God? Is it in the other's best interest? And this is what Joseph was about. What is in her best interest in spite of what she has done to me? Remember, the angel had not spoken to him yet. This was not a typical thing that happened. This has happened only once in all of human history. You say, well, maybe he expected it because he was a Jew living in that day. No way. No way did he expect this to happen. You know, if a young lady who's not married... You know, it says, you know, I'm pregnant. I don't immediately think, ah, an immaculate conception. I just think she's been sleeping around. I mean, and that happens all the time. And that's exactly what he thought. But you see his response. And then the angel says to him, this woman is pregnant by an act of the Holy Spirit. 
Imagine receiving that word. And he doesn't fight the thing. He allows God to take charge. And he says, you're going to have a son. And his name will be Jesus. And he receives it. Do I allow God to speak into my life like that and change my career, change my direction, change my focus, change the way I'm going to live in my life, change the time I'm going to wake up in the morning? change my pattern in life? Am I going to allow God to do this? Remember, God never forces Himself upon us. But His Word is always in our best interest. Always. But even with that, He does not force it upon us. To take and to know what's in the best interest of another and then to force that upon them is not love. That is not the love of God. We cannot force our way upon another. It is to present to them the way of God. And either they receive it or they don't. That is the love of God. Jesus, Jesus' life was given to us here on earth. Many men in our generation, and I know I certainly did, struggle with their own manhood. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? And I thought I had to have big muscles and have... Lots of women and have lots of money and be witty and smart and handsome and all these things. Is that what it means to be a man? What is the scriptural definition of a man? And because of that, there's this enormous insecurity in men. What does it mean to be a man? How do you be a man? How do you be a father? How do you do this? Who is our model in this? What do we do? We see signs of this in Joseph. He was looking out for the other's best interest. You know, Jesus came and there was a proclamation proclaimed over him. Jesus was subjected to being scourged in John chapter 19. If you turn to John chapter 19... People wonder, will God force himself upon us? And Jesus says, to show you that I have no intention of forcing myself upon you, I will allow you to force yourself upon me. To show you, I don't mean to torture you and to beat you. I will allow you to torture me and to beat me. And after the scourging, in John chapter 19, reading from verse 1, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him, give him slaps in his face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I found no guilt in him. You know, how many people saw that movie, The Passion? You know, it was a real letdown for me when I saw the scourging. Many people just couldn't believe how much Jesus was beaten. That did not image the beating of Jesus. It says in the book of Isaiah that the beating of Jesus was so severe, 
he was unrecognizable as a man. Could not be recognized as a man. You know, we teach our, our, our chemistry students, in, in, before they start their research in the lab, we have them go through the safety training. And one of the things that we do to teach them to be respectful of the chemicals they're dealing with and not to become flippant with them, is we show them films of what people look like who have been in lab accidents, who have had, for example, sulfuric acid spilled on their faces. Who have been, you look at these pictures, you cannot tell if this was a man or a woman, a horse or a dog. You can't tell. They have been so disfigured. The Bible says Jesus was so disfigured you could not recognize him as a man. There was nothing in his face anymore that recognized the man he had been so shredded. People think that he's received 39 lashes. Not true at all. 39 lashes is what the Jews gave in their scourgings. There was no limit to scourging in the Roman scourging. Jesus came out that pulverized. says he was made like hamburger meat, totally chopped up. In that state, when he came out, in verse 5 of, of John chapter 19, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. You want to know the image of a man? This is the image of a man. Behold the man. The image of a man is this, that I give myself so totally to you, for your best interest. What is in the best interest of you, my wife? What is in the best interest of you, my family? Is it in your best interest that I teach you the Word of God? That is what I will do. This is what it means to be a man. You want to know, young man, what it means to be a man? It is that I give myself so totally to the other. To the other's best interest. What it means to be a woman is receptivity to God, not passivity. Oh, well, whatever will come, will come. If it's God's will, it'll happen. It's God, what is your will? What is your will? It's receptivity. God, thank you for making me woman. Let me be receptive to you. That's what it means to be a woman like Mary was. What does it mean to be a man? It was imaged in Joseph. It was imaged in Jesus. Behold the man. The image of manhood will only be fulfilled and you will only feel satisfaction of a man that I have fulfilled manhood when you learn to give yourself for another. You know, I have the good fortune of teaching a Bible study to the Houston Astros baseball team. And, and one day I said to them, how many of you think that you have attained scriptural manhood? What it means to be a man? And none of them raised their hands. I said, isn't that interesting? My son has your pictures on his wall because you are his image of manhood. And none of you feel like men. And I know, what you're, I know the struggle you have. Now let me teach you what it means to be a man. This thought, this word, this action will always be in your best interest. And if it's not, it is not the love of God. That's what manhood means, that I give myself so totally to you. If this is resonating with any men here or with any women here, 
I have put on my website, I spent 200 hours, for me that's a lot, studying this. I put on my website a, a series of messages, six-part series that I did particularly for college students. But it is good for many people. And it's called Scriptural Sexual Ethics. And it's at my website, jmtour.com. And follow the link to audio files, jmtour.com. And follow it to Scriptural Sexual Ethics and listen to it. Part one goes first. Part two goes second. Listen to it in that order. And it will bring help in your marriage and in your life. It will help you on understanding what it means to be a woman like Mary was. What it means to be a man as imaged by Christ himself. Behold the man. And the whole image of Christmas is, I give myself totally to you, God says, in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we give ourselves totally to the other, we are fulfilled in marriage and in life. Many people say, I never get enough. I never, you know, things just don't happen good for me. If you pour out yourself for another, you will always have enough. Mother Teresa was never on the psychiatrist's couch saying, I just feel like I don't receive enough. Enough hasn't been given to me. I mean, the woman poured herself out for others and was totally fulfilled. Totally fulfilled. As you learn to give yourself for the other, after receiving from God, your life will bring total fulfillment. And that's where you will be fulfilled in your career, in your life, in your church, when you learn to give totally to another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Your word is so good. Thank you for what was modeled in Mary of receptivity, of saying, Okay, Lord, I yield from my own ways, from my own plans in marriage to your ways. Joseph, wanting to give himself so totally for another, not wanting to hurt Mary in any way, but even when he felt so disgraced, to say, let's put her away secretly to bring her no disgrace. And Lord, thank you for the image of Jesus who was butchered and scourged and brought out in the proclamation, this is the man, behold the man. Father, I pray for the men here that you would raise them up in this image of a man, that they would give themselves totally for others. And for the women here, that they would learn what it means to be receptive to God, just like Mary was. Father, I pray for your outpouring and your grace on these fine people who are your treasures. In the name of Jesus, amen.